Welcome to the Anime Research Group. With so much anime produced each season, many interesting shows just slip through the cracks and don't get the fair hearing they deserve. I'm Ian. I'm Denny. I'm Freya. And each week we get together to give one show its chance. Watch the first few episodes and discuss what we thought of it. This week, get backers. The show ran from October 5th, 2002 until September 20th, 2003 for a total of 49 episodes. It was made by Studio Dean, a studio founded all the way back uh, in the 70s by ex-Sunrise animators. And it is the studio behind such classics as Ranma 1.5, Urusei Yatsura, and responsible also for such not-classics such as the original Fate anime, as well as Read or Die, the TV show, which I think me and Ian can wholeheartedly recommend. Get Backers is based on a manga written by Shin Kibayashi and illustrated by Rando Ayamine, that ran for 39 volumes from 1999 until 2007. Um, The most interesting thing about Kibayashi is really that he works under much more pseudonyms than I've ever seen any different author do. He has seven different pseudonyms, each releasing different works, such as the Kindaichi um, Case Files series, the Bloody Monday trilogy um, under a different pseudonym, and probably one of his more well-known works, uh, the Drops of God series, a 42-volume manga epic about wine tasting that he wrote together with his sister. It's really good. Getbackers also has two drama CDs based on it and five video games, with most of them being fighting games. The anime uh, does not follow the manga uh, that closely, as we'll be discussing later on. A lot of adaptational changes have been made. But it ultra features an anime original ending. And I wonder if that's something that was actually generally known in the English-speaking world, because the way the manga was worked is it was split up into like two parts, but the second part, which is like the ending part, never got finished being published uh, in, well, the West uh, due to Tokyo Pop. Uh, getting their licenses uh, pulled from by Kadansha, and uh, if you care about that, you can watch a video from Red Bard. Links in the description. I'm not sure that would actually have that much impact, since this is the Japanese production. Uh, the anime itself was directed by Kazuhiro Furuhashi, and on that note, Freya. All right, we have uh, two directors this week. Uh, Kazuhiro Furuhashi as the chief director, and assisting him is Keitaro Motonaga. Uh, they uh, both worked on the entire show, so it's not like uh, one took over from the other at any point. I'll start with uh, Furuhashi because he's probably a bit more famous. Uh, they both have worked on a lot of things, I have to say. Furuhashi sort of got his start animating for uh, Urusei Yatsura and uh, doing episode direction for uh, Rama One Half, so. I found his first uh, like solo direction work was on Battle Fighters Garo Densetsu 2, or as it's known in the West, Fatal Fury, Fatal Fury 2: The New Battle. What a prestigious way to begin your direction, directing career. So I'd say the thing he's most famous for and probably most celebrated for is the uh, Baroni Kenshin adaptation in the late 90s, and um, in particular the uh, OVA sequels to it, which uh, people say are very good. In particular, I think Roroni Kenshin has a lot of um, first-person POV shots, which he uh, is apparently quite fond of doing, and there were a few of them in uh, this. He's also probably remembered for doing the uh, 1999 Hunter x Hunter adaptation, 
Then after that, it sort of really started to fall off a bit. Uh, in the mid-2000s, he did an adaptation of Zipang that I didn't know existed. Um, in 2006, he directed Le, Cheve- Le Chevalier Deon, which uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about at some point. Um, We've referenced the show too many times not to eventually do yes. that. <laughs> After 2008, there was a long gap where he didn't seem to work on anything. Then in 2016, he uh, directed Mobile Suit Gundam Unicorn Re-0096, which people said was bad. Have you seen it? Uh, I've not seen it yet, but I know it's just a cutting the OV the seven OVA episodes into twenty six episodes of a show and tacking uh, on endings and beginnings. There's barely any new animation, so it's less okay. that it's terrible. It's more just that you can watch it in a much better form in the OVAs. So um, people apparently sort of thought he'd lost his uh, luster by this point, as it were. And then in uh, twenty nineteen. He uh, directed Adoro, um, oh. which people liked, I think. Mm-hmm. Sort of going back to his Veroni Kenshin days. Anyway, that doesn't matter because the most important thing on this list is uh, <laughs> he storyboarded and directed Neo Yokio. <laughs> I was wondering if we were going to mention Neo Yokio. Of course, <laughs> I was saving it for the end. Uh, now, the thing is, Neo Yokio, the least interesting thing about Neo Yokio is how it looks. But that does make the, the one episode that's like a random one-half uh, story more interesting, I suppose. Anyway, this is not the Neo Yokio podcast. Um, so yeah, Furuhashi, he's... Uh, not as prominent as he once was, but people do remember him well for those Bruni Kenshin OVAs. Anyway, our assistant director, Keitaro Motonaga, uh, he's directed so many things. I think the phrase mixed bag is uh, very applicable here. So he directed a Ray Earth OVA in the late 90s. I don't know what relation it has to the show. Uh, then in the early 2000s, he <laughs> directed such classics as Malice Doll, uh, Phantom the Animation, Oh My Goddess, Princess Princess, which is a title. But really, uh, we have to go to 2006 when he directed uh, School Days. Yeah. <laughs> Good old School Days! <laughs> I don't think there's ever I I don't think there's ever been any anime that I've talked about as much in relation to how much I hate it other other than uh, of course um, Tukiyami Moonface yes Uh, and it's just because I find all the characters in it completely irredeemable yeah now I don't I, I don't know if he, if he's responsible for the infamous creative choice they made in the last episode. But um, <laughs> anyway, in terms of other things in the oeuvre of school days, uh, he directed the entire Data Live um, <laughs> <laughs> show, all of the seasons of it, I think, and also a few years ago. He directed and I think created a little show called Conception. Oh. Do you remember Conception? I do. I don't think he created it because it was based on a PSP game, if I remember, or a PS Vita game, if I remember correctly. 
he was credited as original creator somewhere, but yeah, probably yeah, maybe, not. Maybe he did then. Maybe he, he wrote the story for the game first. So yeah, I don't know what that says about him. <laughs> but um, in terms of stuff that Denny likes, uh, I think he directed uh, Jormungand. Or that was a fun show, yeah. And also the all of the Digimon Adventure Try uh, OVAs. Those were... I still haven't seen the last two, but the first two were a mixed bag. They had some very interesting idea with giving the Digidestined uh, PTSD, essentially, mm-hmm. and really making them worry about fighting in the real world and the collateral damage it would cause. But it just wasn't that interesting at times, and I'm... Yeah, I, I didn't enjoy the Digimon Try movie as much as I hoped when I... The only thing that I like in here is Katana Gatari, which I know you two hated. So yeah, very mixed bag. Mm-hmm. Mostly mostly bad, I think. It's, I mean, it's not entirely a person's fault if they direct a lot of bad shows. They, they no, didn't... of course not. I'm, not. I'm not making this as a personal judgment against him. Uh, on the series composition, we have Akemi Omode, who I couldn't find anything about. They're yet another in the series of people who haven't written originals and have pretty much only done series composition for uh, adaptations. So, uh, in terms of stuff they've worked on, uh, Ark the Lad, the anime of that, uh, Tales from the Abyss, Android Kikaida, Kyokara Mao, Peter Ten. Something called Mind Lieber. The only notable thing in here to me was uh, Tanaka Kun is always listless, which uh, I liked quite a lot. The person who's probably got the best reputation is the um, musical composer, Taku Iwasaki. He is famous for writing, I hate this word, so I'm only going to use it once, uh, hype music. <laughs> In particular, he did the soundtrack for um, Gurren Lagann and JoJo Part 2. But he got his start in the late 90s after winning an award at the uh, music school he went to, working on the Rurouni Kenshin OVAs. Isn't that nice? Also, now and then, here and there, both Read or Die, the OVA, and the TV series. Reader, re- the music in Read or Die is really good. Um, yeah. We just watched it this week, so we could definitely yes. say that. Uh, he also did the music in, uh, here's some familiar names, Jormungand and Katana Gatari, and the music in that is really good. In more recent years, he's done the music for Bungo Stray Dogs and uh, the irregular, I don't know how to say its name, so I'm just going to say Mahoka, and Gatchaman Crowds, which in terms of his more uh, uh, explosive music, that one probably has my uh, favorite track, You, although I've not seen much of Gatchaman Crowds. You know the one I'm talking about, though, Denny, right? Yeah, yeah, that was pretty good. Gotcha man. Gotcha man. Anyway. <laughs> I mean, I guess he's notable enough in that at least two of his uh, composed pieces of music have become memes. Uh, Liberate Me From Hell, which is a song combining uh, opera and rap, um, was all over the internet for a little bit. And uh, from JoJo Part 2, there's several of them, I think. But in particular, the Pillarman theme was very popular. Jojo Part 2 is still the best part of the anime, by the way. And it also has the best music. I have to disagree with that. Jojo Part 5 main theme. No, that one song's really good, but the rest of it is just okay. Whereas Jojo Part 2's soundtrack is really consistently good. Okay, fair enough. You can have the best overall 
soundtrack, but I insist that um, the Part 5 main theme is the single best piece of OST in that franchise. Whatever. If I were to be really patronizing, I would describe his style as being a cross between Yoko Kano and um, Hiroyuki Sawano, but that's incredibly patronizing and unfair to him. Basically, he experiments with a lot of different styles, but he has the good baseline of uh, writing pleasant orchestral music like Yoko Kano does. She also experiments with a lot of uh, genres. And I think we can see that when we go from like the uh, sort of noir jazzy music in Get Backers to the uh, dubstep and uh, Italian folk music in Jojo Part 2 or the uh, Vietnamese rap in uh, Katana Katari. Basically, he's really cool and you should check out his music. Yeah, so uh, we've talked about the production for a while. Uh, let's move on to talk about the episodes. So for episode one, we have the title, the initials are GNB. Uh, and that's because our main characters, the eponymous getbackers, uh, are uh, Ban Mido and Genji Amano. And the basic premise of the show, at least as we're presented to in these episodes, is that they're, I guess we would call them like private detectives for hire, but their task is primarily hunting down items that other people have had lost or stolen or that they, that they want back, right? <laughs> yeah, they're recovery experts, is what they call themselves. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's, a, that's a much better way to put it than what I put it. Oh, very quickly, uh, Banmido is uh, portrayed by Nobutoshi Kana, uh, who's got a great name. <laughs> uh, I think they're probably most famous as Lancer in the Fate Stay Night series. I don't I feel bad about saying that they were Taski and Fushigi Yugi because like these old anime are becoming a lot more available at the moment. <laughs> Retro Crush. Um, so people can actually go back and rewatch stuff like that. Please sponsor us, Retro Crush. <laughs> Please don't. Uh, and also and also the uh the lead character, uh Basara Neki in Macro 7. I, I like it when Fate Stay Night is the newest thing that we mentioned. <laughs> he was also Sonic, uh he was also Knuckle. But no but nobody needed to know that. <laughs> but you all you you all know that I'm always gonna bring up what doesn't need to be said. Because uh, I have much better and more amusing ones for Genji Amano, <laughs> uh, uh, who is played by Shotaro uh, Morikubo. I guess if we actually want to be like what their most famous stuff is, we're talking about like their Naruto character, uh, Shikamaru Nara, or mm. maybe Akaya Kira, uh, uh, Kirihaya from Prince of Tennis, or Yosuke Hanamura from Persona 4. But the ones I want to mention are uh, Popco and Pop Team Epic. <laughs> Uh, Mewtwo in the original Pokemon movie. <laughs> uh, since everyone's all on a Final Fantasy VII hype, he was Kadaj in Advent Children. My, my, I, I should really leave it as a fact for the end, but he's Orphan in the show Orphan, both the original 1998 show and the current, well, no longer current, 2020 show Orphan, and he's the only person who is reprising a role. Nice. <laughs> in this 22-year gap between the show. Anyway, we're introduced to a, a schoolgirl, uh, Natsumi Mizuki. I'll talk about her in, uh, later. Uh, but she loses a keychain. It's a cat. Uh, not quite a maniki neko, but that's kind of where my mind is going. Yeah, I can see that. Well, we'll learn it was made by her mother, and it was like the last thing she ever got from her mother before she died. But she loses it when she's taking a photograph uh, of a animal 
in a side alley. And when the flash goes off, like a uh, shady business cop guy <laughs> thinks, oh shit, they, uh, she's, uh, she's taking photos of me and harasses her a little bit in the keychain breaks. Trying to silence her, but she manages to fl- uh, use his phone to flash him and get away. Although uh, Denny assures us that the Yakuza are not going to be the main villain, uh, they have been, they're going to show up a lot in these three episodes. Uh, uh, and he's this, this police officer is giving specific information to the Yakuza. We don't really know why. And it's also not really important, I think. Yeah. So she hears about the get-backers from uh, some people in her friend group, just overhearing it as she talks about how she's missing her thing and she goes to the shop uh the honky tonk cafe uh where they where they hang out yeah they then get introduced uh, she has to wait all day she's given a pizza by um the master of the cafe yes paul wan who is played by anybody important ian uh yeah uh paul wan is yasunori ichiro uh, who is probably most famous as Jean Havoc in Full Metal Alchemist. Uh, oh. Although I want, I want to call back to the Ghost Hound episode we did. Uh, he played uh, Miyako's father in that. Uh, he was also Neko-sensei in Princess Tutu. <laughs> <laughs> so eventually the Gatback has arrived late in the evening. This is our first real introduction to them, although we've seen them at the beginning of the episode sleeping in their car to introduce their rec- their recurring homelessness and lack of money. They're introduced with a point of view, first-person point of view shot, and it has some. I mean, it's done entirely uh, digitally. There's no animation involved, if that makes sense. The camera bobs, and then it zooms into the fucking pizza, and then they they go into an anime fight with each other. With <laughs> yes. In uh, my head, I was just hearing Pikachu yeah. when, when he zaps uh, the band. So they, they eat Natsumi's pizza, and that's how they eventually end up accepting her job because she doesn't have the money to pay them, but they feel guilty for eating the leftover pizza and promise to get her the cat doll back. They, despite being like these like master detectives, seem to go for some really weird plan ideas. I feel like master detectives is just a flat out wrong word to describe them. It's what they call they like to see them as, but they're anything but is what I'd like, say. Like like their first infiltration plan sort of goes to shit. Uh, <laughs> literally speaking, I guess. <laughs> yes. After they try no less than three disguises. Yeah, but they're like hiding out in the bathroom, and then I I don't know if there was like a food poisoning issue, but like thirty people rush into the bathroom, and it's like, yeah, well, that's that plan. Because they they pretended to be pizza delivery men who delivered a pizza with uh, a laxative to the guy to the policeman who still has the cat, and he wasn't there, so everybody else in the office ate it, and that's why they all rushed to the bathroom. I think at this point we realize there's gonna be a lot of comedy to this show. Um, we're gonna see them go back to like super defo- well, not quite like chibi form but we do see like a lot of switching between animation styles just to exaggerate facial expressions and stuff in the classic manner yes, but yes. really only with the uh, main characters yes um, none of the side characters uh change at all because they have like a very cat and dog relationship when they argue they're always throats like ban is uh, frequently drawn to look like a cat yes then we just have a bit of them trying to get the doll back. And then we have a really weird cut 
where we um, we we cut to the police officer several times, and we see him trying to recover uh, some camera footage because the alley where he threatened Natsumi was filmed by a camera, but somebody else has already accessed it. There was just a really interesting scene when he's going through like the computer records, and it's the big massive screen, and we just see the list of everybody called Natsumi in the town, yeah. and it's just like, how the hell do you find this girl? Like, there was no pictures. <laughs> And he, he just gets lucky because he's about to give up and have the doll to somebody else, but uh, the woman who he's about to give the doll to happens to know that the doll is somehow related to her, to Natsumi's school. I don't remember exactly why, and it's not really important. Yeah, I think it's just, I, she just seems to be like the Sherlock character. Uh and just being like one can only imagine like her her vision and then there's just like it's being annotated with all sorts of things like this <laughs> yes. exact size of a footprint and the chemical composition of the hair maybe she's the one who really deserves the anime <laughs> maybe maybe but we don't really get a kidnapping scene because we just cut to after the kidnapping well they get like a message that she's been kidnapped and then they're just like well clearly the road is too slow let's just go onto the pavement <laughs> yes they engage in some loop in the third driving mm-hmm. Yeah, their car, while not the exact same model as the Loop in the Third car, is very re- reminiscent of it, and of like the Cagliostro car, uh, in its style and design. It even has like a turbo that they have, and the same kind of exaggerated motions. Yeah, we actually end up doing like the research as we were watching it, like because the, the Lupin car we find out was a Fiat Five Hundred, and I believe this is a Suzuki Three Sixty. Subaru Three Sixty. Subaru Three Three Sixty. Yeah, we, we, I felt better on knowing that. Yeah, just just a bit. Uh, yeah, we follow them to uh, a warehouse. Thank God for warehouses in like police detective <laughs> style things. Where else would all the climactic plots take place? And he's like pulling a gun uh, on Natsumi. The coppers, the coppers. Yeah. Uh, sorry. The yes. The, the cop is, I, I, it really seems to get the wrong idea here because he's clearly thinking that, well, like, oh shit, they're onto me, like, for whatever criminality he's engaged in. But he's just like, I don't believe you when it's just you're just these recovery experts. And so things get a little heated, to, so to speak. This is where we get our first real taste of our duo superpowers. Well, Ginji, well, we've already kind of saw that he had these powers, but he uses this to, um, rush them and ban like extends his hand and like his like fighting gimmick is that he has a 200 kilogram force grip yes it was actually very interesting uh because things accelerated really quickly and we see both of them get shot and i was like great it's the eon flux episode (laughs) (laughs) um shout out to eon flux that that does not get nearly enough appreciation. Uh, the the animation, not the film. Um, but actually, no. This is a second power uh, from Ban, which is that he has his Jagan, uh, his evil eye, um, and it's all been an illusion. Uh, the cop doesn't kill Ban and Genji, and then get shot to death by a bunch of policemen. In fact, everyone was losing. Uh, his his side was losing, and he's just kind of manipulated into letting Natsumi go. Yeah, we learn a little bit more about this in the later episode. But the evil eye essentially banned to put whoever he makes eye contact with into an illusion that lasts one minute, 
and he has full control over what these illusions are going to make people seem. Whereas Ginji's um, power is all about uh, electricity. It's He's called an electric eel several times because he just seems to be able to generate it by himself. And with his yellow hair, Ian's comparison to Pikachu is not unfounded. Is the stupid electric guy from MHA based on him? I... Because they are very similar. I wouldn't think so. I would say that if I were to look at... If I were to try and describe as a character design, how I would describe him is take Vash the Stampede, take Alphonse Elric, not the metal version, the, the kid version, and like smash them together. <laughs> uh, that's a decent um, remark on his personality too, I think. <laughs> Whereas I would simply say you take a generic anime doll, you dress him up a little bit, and then you put um, Ichigo Kurosaki's hair from Bleach on him and turn it yellow. And then you draw his face in about 10 different styles <laughs> over three episodes. Um, whereas it's not as easy to like give like a like a comparison for uh, for Ban be- because I don't know except for he him having like the like sharp eyes and like square glasses of a clamp protagonist his hair, his hair is pseudo it's like spiky afro <laughs> he slightly reminds me of the protagonist of Black Cat uh, another manga although they have some uh, major difference but. They also have like cat-like features and eyes, but yeah, Anatomy is saved. She gets her cat keychain back, and we end the episode on her obtaining a part-time part-time job at the Honky Tonk uh, Honky Tonk Cafe. Overall, I'd say this is not a terrible first episode. Yeah, it did what it needed to, right? We yeah. we know what they do. We've got a glimpse of their powers, and we know kind of the feel that the show is going to go for. Yeah, and some of the supporting cast as well. And their uh, character dynamic, which is probably the core of the show, to be honest. That actually leads me to one of the most interesting things about the show, which in preparation for uh, us watching this, I decided to read like the initial 50 chapters of the manga or so, which I did. And this is not the first uh, chapter. This is, I think, an arc from much later on, but they decided to put it here instead of episode two, which is actually part of the first chapter. And while the basic plot points are mostly the same, what they've really changed in this adaptation is the tone. The manga is much darker, full of uh, actual violence and fan service, compared to this more clean afternoon anime adaptation, so to speak of. Because, like, the third panel of the manga has just a straight-up upskirt shot of several women. And in episode two, there's several... uh, In chapter two, there's a whole bunch of just nudity and breasts getting grabbed by the main character, which is just completely absent. There's also a bestiality joke that's just not in it. I think these are all changes for the better. Yeah. Um, I mean, some of the some of the things uh, that you well, not the things you mentioned, but there were some of the more darker things that were praised. Um, for instance, like the Jigan being like sort of genuinely horrifying in the manga. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, whereas, like, there were other things people criticized, like making Ban sound like a gangster. Yeah, they, they they've kind of given up on a more uh, on the more brutal and vicious feel. Like all of the sex and violence has been edited out and while that makes it more watchable uh, from a certain perspective it also removes some of the more mature and dirty impact 
I mean, we'll mention two of the specific things that got taken out that were maybe less uh, necessary. Probably required for uh, regulation reasons, but maybe not necessary. And the reason I say that is because this was um, made for a, uh, five, a 5.30 to 6 p.m. time slot. Yeah, so it's it's definitely, uh, this is like after school anime, not the, <laughs> let's stay up till one o'clock in the morning to watch what uh, more people watching this season, I don't know. Uh, so I think the best way to sum it up is essentially they've, they've taken the grit out of it. Um, I mean, yes, but the, the grit, quote unquote, in the original thing sounded very, what's the right word? Bad. I mean, yes, but that's not the word I was looking for. Yeah, but I, I, I think, I think it's two part. They, one, they've taken out all fan service, skirt shot, and boob grabs. That's good. But at the same time, they've taken the more mature tone of uh, like they actually get beaten up a lot. There's a lot of blood and cuts, and the fights are a lot more serious. For example, uh, this will be more important in the second episode. But there's a confrontation between our dude and some yakuza, and. In the manga, they actually fight them throughout the entire conversation and get beaten up, and they're like on the losing side before they start using their powers and the evil eye. Whereas in the episode, they just stand there, have the conversation, then have a very badly animated fight. Yeah, so yeah. let's actually move on to the second episode then, since you've brought it up. Yeah. Uh, the second episode is called Get Back the Rusted Bonds. Which is the actual first chapter of the manga, chapter one and two. Uh, yeah, I mean, in, in this timeline, it is after the first episode, but yeah. whatever. Uh, they're out of their jobs, they're starving to death, they <laughs> haven't paid their tab to the Hong Kong <laughs> Cafe. Um, but like a homeless man named Yamamura kind of takes pity on them. He brings them back to his shelter and feeds them uh, mm -hmm. some of what he's eating. And you get to talking with him, they learn a bit about him. He used to be a factory owner have been through some rough times his daughter <laughs> has been kidnapped basically there's been it's it seems to be related to like his business uh and the all the recessions and the yakuza henchmen the money lenders and so on mm -hmm. putting, uh, putting the squeeze on him and uh i don't know if he if he, if he asks them or if they or if they say they i i, I think they, he does ask them he gets on his knees and he gives it offers what little, what little money they have I don't know how to, to, to adjust. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, they do, right? They're, they're, they're nice boys, at least a little bit of the time. <laughs> I mean, uh, Ban is initially very reluctant because he says they don't do charity jobs, but Ginji is really kind of the nice boy, and he's like, well, I'm going to do it anyway, and Ban's like, well, fine, I, I, I can't leave you alone, so I'm going to come with you. So they infiltrate the house. And uh, they managed to find Rika quite quickly in a good change once again. Instead of the full full uh, full page panel where she's lying naked on her bed, she's just introduced wearing a bathrobe. Well, and specifically, there's no voyeuristic uh, shots of her in it. Yes, there's 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 absolutely it's actually surprisingly how much they've cut out because even shows in the afternoon tend to have a lot of fan service, but for this, they decided to cut out pretty much all of the fan service. I can't think of a single like voyeuristic or fan service he shot in all three episodes 
we're here to save you. Come on. She actually goes with him very easy. Yeah, very quickly. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I guess if I were kidnapped by the Yakuza and someone broke in and said they were here to save me, I would probably go with them with very few questions answered. <laughs> but uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't even know why I brought it up, really. But it's kind of it seems weird because she seems to take charge. And I think I said to us, like, she seems to know her way around this place very well, which I guess isn't that weird. But it's like, if she could have got out this easily, why did she need them? But dun, 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 she is on the Yakuza side, at least now. Which the anime spoils much more than the manga, because in the manga, it's a surprise. Whereas in the anime, as Ina said, we see her looking at Ban slightly shiftly, taking charge. And there's also a very spoilery shot of her going into a bathroom and looking at a, a staring at a, a wall phone for several seconds before we cut back to the others. So we have the showdown. And I think I described it as being very much in the standard like detective mold of like they they like confront the Yakuza and he basically immediately confesses, like, yes, this is what I did. Not only that they like had taken her from him that they like did it, but also like the stuff with the the father. They're like this was like their plan the whole long all along was to uh, ruin the father in order to take the daughter away. Which is another adaptational change because Rika goes on for a while about how much she enjoys being the Yakuza's woman uh, in the in the manga. Like she she loves she really likes all the expensive stuff he's buying her. She never needs to work hard. And her dad uh, always made her work. And essentially, she had no childhood because she had to work to earn money for college. So she's very unrepentant in the manga. Whereas here, we get this Yakuza conversation of saying, "All everything you hated about your dad was caused by us, so we could get you. Which is, is done to give her a more sympathetic edge, but makes it a less interesting story if, if she's just responsible for her own misdeeds rather than giving her some kind of um, making the Yakuza really the bad guy? Like, the, I would find this sort of writing where the mistakes that were made by one party are actually caused entirely through the machinations of a second party uh, to be, like, sort of a genuinely offensive take. It removes her agency. Yeah, she's the only female character in this episode, and everything she does or she has done, like the betrayal of her father, was done by her in the manga. Mm -hmm. Like I have no doubt there's some forcing by the Yakuza, but it's much more interesting to have her actually be the villain that doesn't want to see her than her just being a poor, naive girl that was tricked by the Yakuza. That's the thing is, I wouldn't the manga take, I wouldn't even call it uh, that she was like being evil. Like from, from all we hear, her father doesn't seem to have been like a genuinely nice guy. And and so, I mean, just just to quickly wrap this up, so we can actually talk about the manga. And we get the fight, the, the the crappy little fight scene, as we said. He basically uses the evil eye to make Rika dream of the le uh, not the, uh, the leader killing both Ban and Ginji, and then some of the henchmen getting burned alive. And this is also like another sort of a manipulation to convince her that if she wasn't convinced already that the no the yakuza are the bad guys and she should return to her father. for the ending of this episode um we see yamamura on like a like a hospital gurney type deal uh well like an ambulance one because he's a homeless person and they're like lifting him into the ambulance and he seems to have had a heart attack he's probably not going to make it <laughs> uh but that's okay because he sees his daughter or does he? 
I think this is what you point out is that in the manga, there's a, a, a inner conflict uh, between uh, Ginji and Ban about the fact that they explicitly make this a uh, evil eye vision. It's it's less. Uh, I, I don't think there's any conflict between them. Uh, I think it's just a nice thing. I thought that it was just they made it more explicit that they did that, whereas it's somewhat ambiguous. In the... Yeah, that, that's what right. Whereas in this show, it, okay, it's it's very it's not clear if that's the way they went or not. There's no reason to believe that they did because they have convinced her that she should return to her father. Where whereas in the manga, she absolutely doesn't. We see her remaining at the place, and they talk about how they failed to convince her, and. Uh, Ban even says, Ban explicitly states that he used the evil eye illusion to give him some comforting dying memories. Whereas here, they he's ha- they have a conversation about it afterwards, where it's like, isn't it great, uh, Genji says, isn't it great that he got to see his daughter again uh, before the end, and uh, Ban is like completely silent, and then the show sort of uh, pans away from them and it ends, so it's left uh, ambiguous. I'm honestly not sure I'd prefer it to be ambiguous in this case, I think. With the more sympathetic character, I, I can understand. I can understand that. That's the thing. This is a weird case of where some uh, most of the adaptational changes uh, in a general sense are really good, but then they like made uh, that odd change with her like basically getting rid of their agency. I guess they were trying to make her more sympathetic, but she's still kind of a nothing character, to be honest. The, the final change in the episode uh, is also the um, the reason for the old man's death, whereas here he simply has a heart attack, uh, that also fatal cause of death for so many characters. In the manga, he gets beaten to death by a homeless hunt. Do they actually show him getting beaten to death? No, they just they still cut to Ban and Ginji arriving back, and the old man's just lying dying okay. on the ground, and we hear just some. Bystanders saying it was a homeless hunt. They came for the little money he had, the money that he'd previously offered them. I mean, honestly, that makes more sense than him getting picked up by an ambulance. But um... yes. there was no ambulance in the manga. Yeah, um, these sorts of homeless hunts are all sort of interesting to me because we've seen similar sorts of things actually happen quite a lot in in anime and manga. I think it was more common around the start of the two thousands. I pointed out to like some of like the dramas I'd seen. Mm. Um, like Akihabara Deep, where you've got this sort of thing going on. But even if we took look to something more recent, like Samurai Flamenco, it's very much a thing they do with delinquents, where they just seem to be harassing uh, homeless people. Yeah. I, delinquents really have taken a turn for the worse, where it's, give me, we've gone from, give me your lunch money to, hey, let's beat this homeless guy to death and film ourselves. Aren't we funny? I mean, that's that has turned around somewhat. Most of the delinquents I can think of from recent years are back to the older uh, anarchistic justice type uh, groups, I suppose. I would say moving on to a more positive note, I'm not really sure that that is true of episode three, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have Operation Recover the Platinum. I mean, it starts off by letting us see uh, three characters who are going to be involved later. I mean, they have names, but let's just call them No Breaks King, (laughs) Lady Poison, and Dr. Jackal because those are their nicknames. Uh, mostly at the start, it's just them being ominous and meeting up and we've got a job to do, etc. But for our protagonist, what happens is a, con- a contact of theirs, Heaven, H-E-V-N, Spelled uh, very weirdly, yeah. comes in and is just tells them of like a job. And 
like they're all they always need jobs so they're like okay we'll, we'll, we'll do it and she takes them to the house of this guy haru otaki who wants them to reclaim a box what's in the box he doesn't tell them what's in the box but he does tell them that if you accept this you're going to get a ridiculous sum of money it was something like two million yen yeah yeah and he would try and help them out etc 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 but they refused and say no we don't want your money we want what's in the box or at least 10% of it. <laughs> and I'm not, we're not going to say what's in the box, but knowing what is in the box, I find it weird how long he takes deliberate, deliberating on that. Uh, <laughs> it's very important to him, Ian. But uh, uh, he eventually sort of agrees. I actually really like this guy, Haru Otaki. He just seems to be living like an interesting life. Uh, he's like your old man, like your old rich, I don't want to say he's eccentric, but he, uh, guy, he's got his like classical Japanese clothing. He's got his Jafar staff. Which looks like a crab claw. Or a flower. And he just like bangs down and then like, and where they have like the sliding doors in like yes. his Japanese house. Just like a whole like massive screen comes down and I'm like, man, this is what Elon Musk could be. But he's it's like wall shutters. <laughs> he also has enormous eyebrows and what I and uh, what I can only describe as, you know, those um, sort of metal like spikes people attach to their uh, chins. <laughs> he has like, he has those, but they're made out of his own hair. Uh, so basically, he shaved his beard in a very strange way. Yeah, I mean, we really like this guy. And um, it was actually, it ended up being a bit bittersweet because Freya pointed out that it was like, this guy sounds like Keiji Fujiwara, who we met last episode as the village chief. Uh, that's because it, well, it was, uh, so good year, Freya. Uh, but I just wanted to point out that uh, today, or perhaps yesterday, uh, it was today I learned to, to, he, he, It came out today, but it happened two days ago. Yeah, so on, on the 14th of April, uh, he unfortunately passed away. He'll be missed, because uh, he did a lot of yeah. good work. Like, what sort of preparations did they make for um, acquiring this item from the transport service? Well, I think their initial plan was to um, they get to a railway crossing, and uh, they're using Genji's electrical powers to pretend the train's coming so Ban can get onto the, the van, essentially stopping the truck that way. But, of course, they didn't reckon with the no-brakes king who just drive straight on through it's a really childish plan when you think of it just like the, we'll, we will make the car stop by putting a stop barrier in i mean it. they they do go into full chibi mode when they're talking about it so. yes <laughs> uh and once it, the semi drives past uh they give chase the this is where we get introduced to uh uh lady poison that's at himiko kudos well, one of her poisons, uh, which is a perfume that gives him the mind of an ape. Uh, ape wasn't what really came to my mind. I was thinking he was more like a dog who was in heat because he like was. It was like he was trying to hump uh, Ban. Essentially, he's the user of seven special perfumes, and that's where her nickname Lady Poison comes from. He uses these perfumes to do several things, such as turning people into apes or uh, like spitting flames as we'll see as we can, would see, would have seen in later episodes something i'd like to point out as well is this is um the third arc of the manga we essentially skipped the entire second arc to introduce more relevant characters to the manga because both himiko and dr jekyll will be re recurring characters that appear a lot whereas all the stuff in the second arc isn't really that important yeah before we can just continue with the plot uh, i'm uh... Himiko Kudo is played 
by Natsuko Kubatani. I think for me, uh, her the, there's like two roles that I would associate her with. One is Yue Ayase in Negima, in all of the Negima anime adaptions, but also Ryoko Asakura in The Melancholy of Haruhi Suzumiya. And also, just because I, I don't think anyone ever talks about Rosen Maiden anymore. She's <laughs> uh, <laughs> Seiseki, uh, which is a name I love saying. Which, uh, because people will forget the difference between that one and the twin, uh, it's the one with the green dress and heterochromia. The ape transformation uh, <laughs> actually leads into, like, I think one of our favorite gags in this show. Yeah. Uh, yes. Which is when they lose control of the car, and you know, usually you would get to the turn in a road and they're going to fly off it, and someone they has to through the barrier. And just conveniently, the barrier is missing right at the part where they're doing <laughs> Then that then the car just flips over like six times while skipping over the lake like a like a stone and yeah. uh, yes. the poison wears off that way. Yeah, it's very it's very like it's, I mean we've said the we've said this too many times. It's a very sort of stupid Lupin thing to do because they just end up spiraling out and end up in front of the semi. Yes, I do love that they played it really flatly. Like the music didn't get extra stupid in that scene or anything. It, it yeah. made it it made it more amusing. And then we get. Probably one of, I don't know if it's the worst, but they end up uh, in front of the truck, as Ian said, and then T-Rex, or Raptor, appears. Generic theropod dinosaur appears. <laughs> yes. It's like a cut from him going, ah, I'm going to run you over, dinosaur. And then he's like, ah, and then they just carry on. <laughs> Bands clearly got him under the influence of the evil eye, but this just raises questions of how close you need to be. Ian, I think you raised the question of line of sight, because... Definitely did not have eye, proper eye contact with the guys, so do you just maybe need to see the person to put them under the spell? Oh, yeah, that, that doesn't really bother me, it's just that the way it was edited was... Uh... Yeah, and so of course, no brakes guy does not use the brakes. Um, <laughs> it is their turn to enter the water. They, they really like pointing out that he's Mr. No Brakes. Every character at least once gets to say that, oh man, you really didn't break that, did you? Yeah, I mean, it was fun. We yeah. get a weird uh, flashback about Ban and like how he knew about Lady Poison. There's not really much after that, other than the like interceptor group and their gang of soldiers. They feel kind of pointless. Ultimately, I mean, they're there to like introduce Doctor Jekyll's uh, powers, but they kind of just show up. I mean, it's fine. Also, I mean, also they don't really introduce his powers because we the camera mostly stays on um, Himiko and no breaks while we just see Jackal. Well, we don't really see Jackal cutting them into pieces with his scalpels, which is what his power is. He essentially has 108 scalpels stored inside his body that he can call out and control, and he just cuts people into pieces of that. Unlimited scalpel works. Yeah, essentially, but we don't really see that. I quite like how they did though. Like uh, how it like cuts to um, the two of them in the car listening to a song, and then the song gets all distorted, and they sort of overlay the silly um, J being carved into the screen, yes, and there's like is. flashes of what looks like blood and stuff. And uh, I don't know, it works better than actually showing what he was doing. I always feel frustrated when we have like an episode like this, which is like, I don't know if it's a two-parter or like a longer thing, but it's, it's a like three-parter. Okay, so it's a three-parter. And we're like, well, we can only judge it by itself. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't great. It was okay. I mean, we we got some good yeah. gags here, but it was a bit of a letdown. 
One thing we didn't mention actually that that we did talk about is it, the, for some reason the anime's animation glass were really really good and gl- reflections I, 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 in glasses. I've been I've, I've been I was waiting to like mention that we we mentioned the, the I mentioned the chibi stuff as like one of the like standout things because well I mean the the deformed this because I I feel like it's underappreciated in in modern anime mm. but. Sometimes there's just one thing where someone has been like really into something and you can tell. <laughs> and in this case, it's with glass because we saw it like when we saw the camera uh, recording in the first episode, it was just, that was where I noticed it. That in one headlight. And I'm like, these are really well done. And it's like, it, it doesn't completely jar, but it's, it's who put this much effort into like doing these reflections and stuff because good on you, but also you probably should have been spending your time on other things. I mean, shout out to the background artists who work on episode one, I guess. There's also some really nice shot in that, like, especially one we haven't even mentioned the Infinity Fortress or uh, Ginji's backstory, which we learned that he used to be the leader of a youth gang. And that's all spoilers for much later in the manga that doesn't really get talked about at this point in time. But as an anime, it makes sense that you've got to introduce these concepts earlier you got to see them out so they it, it doesn't come out of nowhere when it happens later on as for the third episode there weren't that many adaptational changes be- besides as i've said that the whole uh test job they get sent on by the old man is cut out which i think is for the better i'm guessing heaven is way more sexualized in the manga yes uh, in the manga she more or less uses her breasts to trick them into accepting the job like here, they they're very reluctant because she never her jobs doesn't don't really work out. She like she's still kind of manipulating them on the same level as she does in the manga. But whereas there she uses her sexuality, here she uses money. But also they cut out the the worst joke of the manga so far as Ban just occasionally grabbing her breasts and then getting punched for it, and then we just move on. It's like a recurring thing that happens a whole bunch of times over the first dozen chapters or so. So this is probably a good time to mention that this show was uh, marketed towards people with certain preferences. Yes. <laughs> it was interesting because there was an image of the promo art that you linked to us, mm-hmm. Danny. The, it was weird because I saw it and I was just like, oh, yeah. And it was... Yes. Uh... And I was thinking, oh, that's what I recognized from uh, Get Backers. But yeah, what Freya is talking about is that well, the manga has a lot of fan service, breasts, panty shots, and all that stuff. The anime itself seems to have been marketed much more towards people uh, who like yaoi, as the manga seemed to have a large uh, yaoi uh, fan base. So when we saw some of the promo art earlier, it's it's very heavily clearly sexualized. Like it's it's Ginji in chains. They're and- also they're also going in this promo art. They're going way heavier on the semi and UK uh, dynamics than the actual show did. Yes, yes. The show the show basically has none of that. They're, they're just two comedy friends. Here it's they they're hugging each other naked while bleeding, and their fingers are touching each other's mouths. It's not that there's none of that. Like the core of the show is their relationship right not yes. romantically at least not explicitly mm-hmm. romantically maybe there is more hinting towards it later on i mean people said that the author is apparently a fudenshi which is interesting you know what a, a the term fujoshi means it's the male equivalent we've kind of covered most things is there any like standout visual stuff that we haven't covered that you think deserves a mention i don't think we've really talked about the uh, <laughs> production in the like literal 
uh, in the episodes we've watched that much. Mostly because there's not that much to say. Kazuhiro Kurahashi storyboarded episodes one and three, and uh, there were first-person POV shots in both of those, uh, which, uh, they were okay. While watching it, I thought to myself several times, this just... It doesn't look cheap, but it just looks average. There wasn't really anything yeah. standout about most of them. There was one shot where kind of like, oh, that was interesting. And it was like a panning camera shot of Ban of Ginji standing on a bridge and yes. he looks at the cityscape, then the camera kind of does like a part of a 360 shot around him to line him up with the Infinity Fortress, which is like a large tower complex. That was good. I have to say the um Jagan uh sort of dream sequences were uh, pretty disappointing. Yes, yes, they were. The the point, I mean, the point is that they're supposed to be realistic, so yes, they should look like the rest of the show, but they kind of just stuck a your red filter over everything, and the, like, violence in them didn't really land, and they didn't they didn't feel either otherworldly or horrifying enough. Uh, that's one adaptational change that's probably kind of disappointing, because uh, you said they were pretty spooky in the way. It wasn't it wasn't it wasn't entirely bad. Like in the first episode when the guy thinks he's being shot and then there's just like black holes being taken out of yeah, him. That, 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 that was that was that was a good shot. I also have to say the music in those scenes is doing way more work than everything else. There's these uh, really great screeching um synths uh in them that that works really well or at least it would work really well if the visuals were uh, done better. I was quite happy with the music in general. There was a lot yeah. of just like really nice uh, chill anime music to study to. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but but more in the uh, the like smooth jazz sense than the lo-fi beats to study to. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I I, also, I mean, you you're right about the music supporting the scenes, but I did feel like the actual sound effects didn't really because in the manga, every time the illusion is over, we have like this. We have them saying, was it a nice dream or something like that? Did you have a nice dream recently? But there's also this really prevalent shattering effect of the shattering of reality. Mm-hmm. And I always felt like the just the dull breaking sound they had when the illusion was over wasn't really that impactful. Yeah, yeah. what we re- what we really want is, uh, <laughs> uh, this is a very specific reference, uh, the Shiva Aeon from Final Fantasy X, <laughs> when it freezes everything and then it clicks its fingers and everything shatters. That's what we want. All that, yeah. scene, all that scene in Paprika where she just runs through the, uh, the glass in the middle of the world. Yeah. The music isn't just sort of uh, chill noir jazz. There's also some... Uh, I mean, there's the awesome screeching synths that I talked about, but there's also some very Metal Gear Solid sounding uh, music in episode three. I mean, we always joke about the Final Fantasy battle music when we hear it in different shows. Yeah, so there was none of that here. I'm happy no. to say. Thank- thankfully. Yeah. <laughs> yes, please check out Takuya Wasaki's music because um, it's good. At least color wise, the show was also fairly subdued. There weren't really any like harsh, impactful colors. It was all just brown like blues like the dark blues and it was all very kind of faded the most garish colors we had were in the opening logo which looked really bad with like a nuclear green and yellow and it was awful so let's talk let's talk about the opening then no question the logo is terrible if only because the sort of yellow ghetto backers uh, in katakana is fine um i would be happy with that but the like english part where they've got the g and the b in the big black typeface with the little green stuff beside it yeah that's just bad logo design (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, for for no other for no other reason. Uh, typography picking is that the G and the B are offset, whereas the Et in backers is not. Yes, we need we need uh, Tetsuya Oishi here to do some cool typography. I, th- I think the opening starts really interestingly with almost like a spoken word bit with just the drum backing beat. It's the initial images we see in the opening are like just going between the like stills of the main character and some uh, blue and white cityscapes, mm-hmm. uh, which I like. It's quite good. And, and th- those are nice. Uh, after that, we get like just them driving along with like a nice orange sunset. It's actually quite good. It's actually quite nice. And then they immediately follow that by like a night city scene. And if we can take anything away from those two scenes, it's the people who made the opening understand color grading, whether the people in the anime do or not. <laughs> but it's actually quite like a, a, a boring opening to say, because you get like the stills of like, here's the three characters who often show up at the Honky Tonk Cafe. We get uh, Heaven and Natsumi and Paul. And then we get like little like vignettes of life. And then we just get the generic thing that we always complain about, where it's like, and here's the people who are, I guess they're the ones that aren't going to be the villains. Yes. They do like the side faces. Yeah. And yeah. then we get, and then we get the vertical scroll of all the villains with their faces all next to one another, <laughs> which makes for cool posters, but I'm over. I'm over. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and then some just like really just bland scenes of them doing generic action uh, before pulling out to uh, the night scene again. It had a very nostalgic feel to it, but that's all it really had. I definitely preferred the music that was going over this to the visual. The music is Yuraru Koto Nai, Love Never Wavers by Naomi Tamura. And like this was what triggered my nostalgia, not the images. It's kind of hard to explain, uh, like most feelings of nostalgia are. Whereas the ending, I much prefer. It's it's not that it's maybe not that interesting to most people because we're just getting not quite photorealistic uh, cityscape. They've taken photos and then uh, color graded them to a pretty extreme yeah. degree. I, I was trying to figure out what like the correct term is, but you, that that's probably the the right because I was like they didn't rotoscope anything or anything, like that. and we get like a lot of rain in the city. It's actually kind of sweet because the only person we see in the ending is Natsumi. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of like looking out a window with a really nice reflection on it. Uh, and I mean, what we get to see is that really she's just waiting for uh, Ban and Genji to return. Yeah, yeah. that's her character. <laughs> I don't know that that is her character, uh, yeah, but if, if, if that is if that is going to be her character, that's that's pro light down. The only other thing she's uh, she does is like talk about how cool they are with the barman. But there, aside from like the, these like these great images, uh, the main reason I want to bring it out is specifically because Natsumi is the really the only person in it. Uh, she is voiced by someone who goes by Otoha, uh, who is the person who sings this ending uh, called One Second Refrain. And it's interesting because she does not appear to be a voice actor. I didn't hate her. I hate her acting. I mean, I, I don't I usually don't bitch about voice acting. But I spent the entire time we were listening to this trying to think who she reminded me of. <laughs> and it's really frustrating because she's got like a very breathy voice for this that I want to say made me feel a bit like Ranka Lee uh, from Macross Frontier. 
it, it's actually quite sweet, I think. It's that weird thing where because she's not a voice actor, she sounds completely different to her. the way she speaks sounds completely different to everyone else. I have a few things I want to say about the animation. Um so the fight scenes I think you'd agree weren't very well done. Um, no. Yeah, and in particular the animation was serviceable at best, I think is the best way to yeah. say it. There, there, there was no real like weight to anything that happened in those uh, scenes. But also, it's an interesting choice that they made to um, animate the main two characters in like several different styles and leave everyone else uh, being fairly static. In particular, they have so many different ways of drawing their faces. <laughs> it just goes to show that the core of the show is their relationship, which we haven't really talked about that much. Well, it hasn't really been highlighted except insofar as it's the source of much comedy. Yeah. Like, they have a somewhat, like, bickering, but uh, they obviously still like each other a lot type uh, buddy cop relationship, yeah. I suppose. Uh, yeah, it's it's like me and Danny. <laughs> <laughs> what does that make you, Fred? Does that make you master? No. Um, I was going to say, like, who are, who are we casting? Because I think I'm probably Ban and you're Genji. <laughs> yeah, uh, I would agree. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. I, I'm the car. No. Um... <laughs> <laughs> uh, go for it. Initiate terrible mode. Uh, one last thing. I guess the, the only sequence that, like, really worked for me was the, uh, the Jackal one, which I already talked about. Uh, so, yeah, and uh, with that, I think we've talked about most of the stuff. So I think we're ready to give a verdict. Ian, how many how many evil eyes would you like to give this anime? This show for me is it's like I mean I hate to be the one who always says it. But it's like a, it's just a really average show. Given that I've said that two and a half, <laughs> it, it like what do you want me to say? It's if if anything, I would round it down, but it was fine. It's 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 a two and a half show, and I feel comfortable saying that because. I I'm 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 really struggling to come up with things to say that I, that really stood out. It didn't. <laughs> How about you, Daddy? <laughs> Fuck you! I got you first. <laughs> well, I would actually round this up to a three because, in my mind, while it is a very average show, I agree with Ian on that. It has done a lot of things to improve itself from its source material. It's basically removed the majority of things I didn't like. While it sadly also lost some of the more interesting things on the way, those were probably more uh, a factor of it simply wasn't feasible to animate this in a level of quality equal to the manga, I, which is why I won't hold that against them. I agree that it improved itself over the source material, but that just means I would give the source material than two and a half. <laughs> yes, which is why I'm giving this a three instead of two and a half. How about you then, Freya? I mean, I hate to... Um repeat what everyone else has said but yeah this is incredibly average and yes he had already put two and a half in the thing which was correct there wasn't anything i particularly liked so i don't have much to say here sorry yeah well i still think this is a show that is worth watching if you enjoy this kind of body comedy slightly detective comedy superpower show i will warn you though it will eventually devolve into just a shonen fight uh, not necessarily shonen, but a fighting battle manga but if you do enjoy this kind of body style, body cop style show, it's definitely it's definitely not not a thing you shouldn't watch. Yeah, I don't think that I don't I wouldn't say this is a show that needs to be forgotten in the way that yeah. certain other shows need to be. <laughs> We're looking at you, Skull Days. 
<laughs> I didn't want to say. So with that, our verdicts are rendered. Mm-hmm. Have you got any facts for us? Well, I've got uh, some. Once again, as we realized, our facts are very rarely about the anime, and it is the case once again this week. For one, there is um, a second English dub, which doesn't happen that often, but it was done by Animax Asia and was dubbed in Hong Kong. Uh, secondly, I've already mentioned Drops of God, but that manga was so popular that it got them an award from the French culture minister in 2011. And uh, the author also wrote the story of a Fire Emblem game, specifically Fate. And with that, Freya, what will we be watching next week? Uh, well, I already rolled the D35, which has increased from <laughs> 26 or whatever it was last time. Uh, I think these um, lists are just going to keep expanding. When we uh, keep... Unfortunately, next time we will be watching uh, Fujin Monogatari, which is not related to the other Monogatari. My God. We are the Anime Research Group, a weekly podcast coming out every Thursday. If you'd like to tell us what you thought of the show or suggest something for future shows, you can follow us on Twitter at research underscore anime or drop us an email at researchanime at gmail.com.